All right, I know we're at the last study. We're, we were going to be at the last verse in, last couple verses there. One more study in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're already through chapter 1, almost, right? Uh, and I've got that message almost completed, but there's another message that was on my heart that I wanted to share. And then next week, Lord willing, when we're, we get together and gather, we'll go through the ending there, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Last couple of verses are heavy because they come on the heels of Paul warning Timothy not to keep a good conscience, right? And a sincere faith and what have you. So he doesn't shipwreck his faith, as did Hymenaeus and Alexander, and, uh, who he handed over to Satan to learn not to blaspheme. There's a lot going on there that's really important for us as a, the body of Christ to understand. So we see how God works with believers and so forth. But I'm going to take a little bit more time on that message. I've already... I, wasn't, I was beyond close to done because I've got actually stuff I've got to weed out of that message, so it's ready to go. But I wanted to talk about something else that just kind of a salvation message. Even though we've been having a couple salvation messages because we're talking about Paul, the chief of sinners, and so forth, I want to look at a bigger scope of what God's done in us and why each of us should be grateful and how we can each grow in respect to our salvation. So if you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, now there's a horrible problem going on at the church of Corinth. There's a number of horrible problems going on at the church of Corinth. Uh, there's a misuse of the spiritual gifts. All kinds of people are speaking in tongues at once without interpreters. Uh, there's a, a, a misuse of, uh, you know, worldly, they're using worldly wisdom rather than God's wisdom. Uh, there's a denial of the resurrection of Christ by some of their people. Uh, all sorts of thorny problems. And there is... There's far more than I'm mentioning here, but the main thing, one of the main things they were struggling with was there was people defrauding each other in the church. Could have been called First Californians, euphemistically, I mean, in our day, right? Uh, but there was also sexual immorality in their church. And to the point where in First Corinthians chapter 5, the chapter right before this, that Paul is rebuking them because some of them got the idea that since they've been saved by grace, they could just live however they want wanted to live and they can engage in sexual morality and that was not the apostolic teaching that was not the teaching of Christ and so much so that a man was having relations with his father's wife some believe that refers specifically to his mom or his father's wife or perhaps his stepmom we can't be sure either way it was absolutely grotesque and he said you ought not to be rejoicing in this but you ought to be mourning a word used for funerals, like there's a spiritual death in the church, a stench that nobody's smelling, or most people weren't. And Paul comes to, and dis, to bring discipline. He warns them to not associate with this so-called brother and excommunicate him. Paul said he had already decided and that they need to follow through with the decision that he had made and excommunicate him from the church because he's having sexual relations with his father's wife. And then when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, the next chapter, you continue to just read the letter. He talks about guys getting together with prostitutes uh, in the church, saying, hey, you are members of Christ. You belong to the body of Christ. You're a member of Jesus, and you're bringing Jesus into this. And you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, you've been bought with, by God. You know, you've been bought by the price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. And he warns them about the depravity of sexual sin. And then... In the middle of that chapter, he warns them about the penalty uh, that will come upon the wicked who are rebelling against the Lord. And he doesn't, he kind of brings things together. He brings up, you know, things, sins that they were specifically dealing with. That's why when you see different vice lists in the Bible, different sins mentioned where they're cataloged, uh, oftentimes there's, well, there's always rhyme and reason behind it, but the Holy Spirit is signifying often what that particular group needs to hear. And also that what the church as a whole needs to hear because so often like the letters to the church is he that has an ear let him hear what the spirit says the church is but we come across in first corinthians 6 8 through 11 some more sad verses but to me one of the best and most beautiful verses in all of holy scripture and we read uh in verse 8 or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god just point blank paul's very direct they will not enter or inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, people that are on this vice list, like this sexually immoral here, are also in the vice list of Revelation 21.8, where they'll go to the lake of fire. 
So not inheriting the kingdom of God is equivalent to not only not entering his kingdom, but going to the lake of fire. And he says, do not be what? Do not be deceived. Now, why does he say do not be deceived? Because many of them were what? Deceived into thinking that, hey, we've been saved by grace. We can live however we please. Uh, and Paul's saying, no, <laughs> that's not the point of the gospel. Uh, the gospel, Jesus didn't die to give us a license to be in rebellion to him, amen? He died to save us, to sanctify us, to make us like himself. And then we read, he gets specific, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, those who put anything before God, nor adulterers, those who are married or sleep with a married person, nor effeminate, those men who seek to become like women, nor homosexuals, literally men betters, those who lay, men would lay with other men in Romans chapter one, also talks about women with women, nor thieves, those who take those things that don't belong to them from others, nor the covetous, those who want to take things from other people, nor drunkards, those who are being intoxicated by alcohol instead of filled with the Holy Spirit, nor revilers, brawlers, uh, fighters, you know, nor swindlers, thieves that, that you know, has the idea of practicing uh, deception in, among, uh, uh, regarding thievery and just also thievery in general. Uh, well, he says, don't be deceived. They, these guys, nor thieves or nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. They're not getting in. And this needs to be preached more, these kinds of verses, because so much of the church is filled with people just like this who are under the same deception, by the way, that the Corinthian church was. I mean, literally millions in our country, millions of professing Christians believe that if they live like this, they will enter God's kingdom still. They won't go to the lake of fire. And hence, wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. So if therefore you have many pastors and preachers teaching that you can live like this and you'll still inherit the kingdom of God. Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll. I mean, those are just some really popular names that you hear on the radio. Just being honest with you, they teach that if you've come to Christ, you know, you can go. They don't say, oh yeah, go and do those things. I mean, nobody would fall for that. But they say, hey, you can live like this and you'll still inherit God's kingdom. And that's really, really sad because a lot of people are deceived. And uh, raise your hand if you find yourself, any, you see yourself anywhere on this list. At least I'm talking about your past life before Christ. I raise my hand. I'm on that list. You know, I'm on that list too many times. I think I was, you know, uh, definitely a drunkard, definitely a fornicator, definitely, uh, you know, idolater, definitely a thief before I was saved, uh, a, a reviler or a brawler. You know, I was, I'm on half that list before I got saved, right? How many of you, come on, be honest, can you see yourself on that list? Or do you realize you're on one of these vice lists that's in the Bible, right? Are you on the list where all have sinned? Raise your hand if that's you, all have sinned, right? Okay, all right. So, you know, I hate to admit it, but yeah, wow, that, but that's why I love verse 11 so much. Such, what? Were some of you. That's what we were. That was our past life, right? Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, and all things have become What? New. He makes us new creations. That's our past life. When I came to Christ, I knew I needed to repent. Even before I read a lot of scripture, I knew I needed to turn from my old life of sin and rebellion because the Holy Spirit was upon me. And even before I broke up the scripture, I knew I needed to stop doing evil things. And intuitively, by the Spirit of God, I believe, I knew that I needed to quit getting drunk. I needed to quit using horrible language. I needed to quit doing the things I was doing and uh, quit getting involved in occult practices which I didn't really, really understand what I was doing until I came to the light of Christ. But it's interesting that he says, such were some of you. The true church is made up of people that were in doing all these types of things. That's why we're such a light on the hill. We're able to say to people, look what Jesus has done in me. Look at the power of Christ. You can be saved from this destructive lifestyle that you're living. You can be saved from the penalty of sin that you deserve. Amen. You can have a changed heart in all these things. And it's such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful truth. Such were some of you, but look what he says. And this, to my, this reminds me a lot of Ephesians too, I'll say really quickly. When he says, talks about how they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Remember that? Dead in trespasses and sins. 
right? They were children of wrath, hostile to God and all that. But it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Then the next verse says, but God, amen, God stepped in. Aren't you glad that God stepped into your life? Aren't you glad that he revealed himself to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the light of Christ, through the written word, amen? How many of you can remember the day you actually heard the good news and you actually repented and turned to Christ? Happy day, amen? I'm still living off that, man, because it's just such a beautiful, beautiful truth when we got saved. And it's interesting because he says, such were some of you, but you were what? You were washed. We were washed. We were washed. If you're a Christian, you were washed from these things, these sins. And then he says, also, but you were what? Sanctified. You were sanctified. And then he also says, but you were what? Justified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Wow. That's awesome. Because of Jesus Christ and his name, by his authority, by his power, you and I were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified, and in the spirit of our God. And I want to talk about those three terms that are used there this evening for a little while and uh, share with you, just, just encourage you in what we have in Christ. And, and hopefully we leave here, you know, with a greater appreciation of what he's done for us. And, and we also press on to grow in our sanctification. And I'm not going to take them in the same order Paul gives them. I'm just going to take them one at a time, just go through all three of them briefly for maybe 20 or I should say 12 minutes each or so. We'll see what, by average, 15, one maybe. I'm watching that clock pretty good. That's a good bright clock up there now. I never had an excuse, but I even have less of an excuse now. Before you're saved, you got your conscience, right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, man, you see things even brighter, right? Like, whoa, wow. <laughs> anyway, that's interesting because how many of you are thankful that you've been washed, your, your sins have been washed away, amen? Because before we were saved, we were dirty, man. We were dirty. Uh, it's interesting because we talk oftentimes about how as Christians, and a lot of Christians don't realize even this, is that we're in double trouble. Amen? We have a double curse. All Christians, before we were Christians, and all humanity are under a double curse. They're in double trouble. Do you guys, anybody remember what the double curse is that humanity has? One is, is that we are what before God? We're guilty. Amen? We're guilty. We owe a debt that the only way we can pay that debt is by suffering his wrath for all eternity, being separated from God forever. So we never could get right with him on our own. Amen? So we have this sin debt. That's one of the big problems we have. That's curse number one. We're guilty of sin. But, well, if you're talking about people, if they feel cursed, people in the world, that if, any, if people feel cursed and they don't know God and they don't really understand the gospel and so forth and People talk about being cursed in two different ways. Two of the worst ways in the world to be cursed in a lot of people's minds, even people that don't know God, is to be in poverty, being materially impoverished, being destitute, having no money, not being able to pay any bills, and just being in huge debt. That's a bummer, and it's a bummer in a lot of places of the world more than it is here in the United States. So, the other way is to be incredibly sick. Some of you dealt with financial woes. All of us have to one degree or another at times. And some of you and many of us and all of us one time or another have dealt with uh, physical woes, sicknesses. Every single one of us has dealt with sicknesses that are severe to one degree or another. And when you're incredibly bankrupt <laughs> and you're incredibly sick, you know, diseased to the point of dying, that's like really, really horrible. But guess what? We, before we're Christians, in a spiritual sense, are doubly cursed. We're spiritually bankrupt before God, which is the worst way to be bankrupt. You'd much rather be monetarily bankrupt in the, in the, in the, in the world of commerce, in the modern economy, than you would to be spiritually bankrupt before God. Because that means you can't enter God's kingdom. These folks are not entering God's kingdom. They're not inheriting his kingdom because they're spiritually 
bankrupt. And they've rejected God, and they have no means by which they can pay to get into God's kingdom. And there's a double debt going on, too. There's our debt that we owe to God because we owe him all kinds of righteousness, amen? We owe him all the righteousness, every evil deed that we've done, we owe him. We have to pay him back, it would seem, right? Because he demands righteousness. But we can't pay it back because any good thing we do is doing what we ought to have been doing anyway and we don't get credit for something we did bad. You can't be involved in a hit and run and then drive good for five years and the same cop finally catches up to you and says, that was you. You say, hey, I've obeyed every law since I ran that old lady over and I escaped from you. I, I, every stop sign. I mean, I didn't even take a California stop. I mean, I didn't even, I just, I came to a dead stop. I even waited, I counted to three. And every, I've never done, every perfect. You think the police officer's gonna say, okay, you've been great, man. I'm sure you paid your debt. No, you ran over an old lady. You're getting hauled off to jail. And the judge isn't going to follow that for that. The jurors aren't going to follow for that. Some jurors might today, okay? Especially, here in, especially if you get tried over in San Francisco, okay? But it's not righteous. You're, you're in debt. We owe God righteousness that we could never pay. But what is, and he owes us something. What does he owe us? What does God owe us because of our sin? Wrath, Amen. It talks about how we are storing up for ourselves a treasure of wrath in the day of wrath. Every time humans sin, they store up more wrath that they deserve. I'm not saying we as Christians, but the world. They're storing up more and more wrath. That's what it says in Romans chapter 2. Every time a non-believer sins, every time, and if you're listening to me and you're visiting today, you've never been here before, you're listening by way of live stream or you're just listening to this later, we love you, but every time you sin and, you reject, and you're still rejecting God, if you're not cleansed, if you're not washed from your sins, whoo, man, you're in big trouble because you're just storing up more and more wrath. And that is very, very heartbreaking. So we have this, we're the, we've got this double trouble, you know, we've got this, remember, we're doubly cursed before we come to Christ. Number one, we're in huge debt. Number two, we're incredibly sick. Romans, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, the heart is what? Deceitful. And it's desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's heavy, man. Who can know it? It's so wicked. Jesus talked about the darkness in man's heart. He goes, and how great is that darkness? That's the son of God who has eyes of fire and can see into the heart. He says, how great is that darkness? Before Christ, man, our hearts are dark. We've got this problem of darkness, man, and, and depravity and wickedness and perversion in the human race. I mean, that's why we have to lock our doors at night, you know? It's just incredible how wicked the world is. But, you know, uh, <laughs> praise God, we have an awesome God. Because even though there's a double curse, there's also the double what? Double cure. Amen? We've got an awesome God who wants to cure us of both of our problems. And that's where these words that we're looking at come into play. You see, we're dirty. We're filthy outside of Christ. Uh, leprosy is a great picture of our sinful state, right? We've talked about how God uses leprosy and I, I used to share on leprosy and how it's a picture of sin, Hansen's disease, and how it's a great picture of sin. And I don't have time to get into the whole thing now, but I remember reading in the Bible encyclopedia that I was wrong for equating leprosy in the Bible to Hansen's disease. Because I started looking at some Bible encyclopedias about Hansen's disease and, or leprosy. Oh no, it's probably just like scabies or just a you know, skin rash. Nothing like leprosy as they know in India, parts of China, because that was never known in I Israel. They never found Hansen's disease there. And I was like, uh-oh. I definitely don't ever want to teach something false, doctrinally, but I don't want to use an illustration that's wrong either. You see all the illustrations and people have all these things that pass through the internet and it's like two-thirds of them are just made up, right? You gotta watch out for those, you know? And I thought, what in the world, man? I've studied Hansen's disease, and guess what? 
then, I don't know, it was right around that same time when I was like, Lord, do I have to revise my understanding of leprosy in those days? And guess what? They found the oldest leper that was ever discovered. And they found him in a tomb and they sent his, that was sealed off from other tombs. And you don't usually seal the tombs off this way, but they figured it's because there's a diseased person in there. That's why they sealed the tombs off. They took this, the remnants of this person out, sent them to Canada, did forensic studies. This person died of Hansen's disease. That's where your eyes get sunken in. You lose the digits on your fingers. That's the leprosy that people most fear. That's leprosy as we know it today. Guess where he was found? In Jerusalem, in the first century, in the days of Jesus. Oldest leper they've ever found is actually right there. Isn't that crazy? I was like, hallelujah. Well, not praising God that the guy had leprosy, but praising God that there's reality that, yeah, that's what, and I think it, because I, I love that reality that God is dealing with leprosy there because leprosy is such a powerful picture of sin. Because what does sin do? It alienates you from God. It alienates you from others. And leprosy, you can be a leper colony, right? And also, you know, cause you to lose your feelings. That's what sin does. You lose your digits because you don't feel things. And a it was Dr. Paul Brand. He was a missionary to India and he studied leprosy for years. And he found out that people are losing their digits because rats would eat their fingers off at night and they had no feeling. Pretty gross. Well, guess what? Sin makes you callous in your heart. It makes us like lepers. We don't feel for other people. We become insensitive. The things that grieve the heart of God don't grieve humans the way they ought to. People aren't sympathetic or empathetic for the most part these days, and the hearts are growing colder. So humanity is a very sick group of people, and we need to be cleansed of our sin, and we need to cleanse of our sickness. And I love the term washed there. Washed. Washed. The Bible uses the, the water often as a picture of washing, being washed by the water. Amen. When Paul's being baptized, he's told, you know, get baptized, even though he's already forgiven and saved, but, you know, be baptized and wash away your sins because the water was a, only the blood of Christ. The Bible says the water doesn't wash away the sins literally. That's what it says in 1 Peter 3. But it's a wonderful picture of what the blood of Christ does for us. Amen. Amen. In fact, uh, in 1 John 1, 7, I love 1 John 1, 7. It says, but if we walk in the light, that's you and me as Christians, we walk in the light of Christ as he's in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses, washes us, purifies us from all sins, depending on your translation. It means to be washed. How about two verses later? 1 John 1, 9. Right? If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Wash us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Beautiful scriptures. In Psalm 51, 2, remember David? He'd fallen into adultery and murder, and he was in huge trouble with God. He prays, take not the Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from thy presence, right? And he prays, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Only the blood of Christ can wash you from your sins. And these guys who were adulterers and homosexuals and revilers and drunkards and everything else says, first thing he mentions, they were washed. Such were some of you, but you were washed. That's true of you. That's true of you, no matter how wicked you've been, no matter what sin you committed, because he says he's faithful and just to forgive us of and wash us from what? All our sins, amen? Whatever you've done, you've been washed, and you accept that. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And they'll whisper in your ear, well, you haven't been washed. You haven't been sinned. You haven't been washed from your sins. You've done some things that, you're, you're the one person that won't be washed of certain things. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. Or you're one of some. But Jesus died for all sins, amen? See, he died for all, all our sins. I remember interviewing uh, Susan Atkins, and she was one of the Manson murders, the most notorious, you know, murder uh, by a group of people planning them out in American history, the Manson family. And they weren't far from us, man. They met up there in Box Canyon, uh, not far from where Lisa and I lived for some time. Spawn Ranch, they lived a few different places. And when we visited her, 
It was a very interesting interview, but one of the things that really stuck in my mind, she was convicted of nine of the Manson murders, more than anybody else, more than Tex Watson, more than anybody else. And as we sat there and talked to her, you would, ne you would never, ever think this lady killed nine people, including Sharon Tate and her baby. Just horrific. And she was, I mean, the other people, when you go to prisons, you're like kind of weary with her. It's like, wow, she seems so changed and so contrite. And we asked her to share her testimony with us. And she shared that when she was, had come into the prison, that she felt so guilty. Because she'd been part of the Church of Satan before she went to Charles Manson at like 18, 19. Then she joined Charles Manson. I mean, how do you end up with both those groups? One's in Frisco, one's more Southern California. Just diabolical. And Charles Manson, he would just play songs, and songs, she said, would just come out of him. He worked with the Beach Boys. They even actually took one of his songs. They made a song. He wanted to get a record deal. You know, they called, Dennis Wilson called him the wizard. Songs just came out of him. Just like a lot of these rock stars who just make it big. They're just not killing a bunch of people. Same demons often. Rock and rap stars. And she said that, you know what? I got trapped because when I first met Charles Manson, she goes, I didn't tell my hippie friends, but my favorite song was a song by Bing Crosby. And I wouldn't tell anybody because they'd all laugh. He came up to me. He started playing that song and singing it to me. And she goes, how does that happen? I knew he was connected, but she thought it was some kind of God force, right? And she began to follow him. And he started doing songs, da-da-dee, they'd sing all the songs. Then he changed the words to die today, die today, die today. They're all singing die today, die today. This is brainwashing. And she was brainwashed. And she felt so guilty when she realized how much she had been deceived that she said she took a shower there in the prison and she would scrub herself where she would be red because she would scrub herself so hard with the soap that, to get the sin away from her, to wash away. But she could never get it away. She could never get that feeling away. And she said one time when she was in prison scrubbing herself, she said that God spoke to her heart and said, that soap will never take your sin away. Only the blood of my son will take that sin away. And it's there where she just collapsed before God or just went before God, you know, just broken, asking Christ to cleanse her of her sins. But wait, did Jesus die for her sins or just our sins? Did he die for Paul's sins? And Paul called himself what? The chief of sinners. And why did Paul say that God would save him? As a pattern for anybody else who would believe that since he saved this chief of sinners, he would save us, amen? He would wash us from our sins. So we just need to confess our sins before the Lord. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us of not a little bit, not some, not most, but all unrighteousness. That's the good news, amen? Jesus died, was buried, he rose again. And the waters, the baptismal waters are a picture of entering into Christ's death. But those waters are, waters are often also a picture of cleansing how good it is. Now, the next thing we talk about is justified, is being justified. And to be justified, what's it mean to be justified? It means, some say it means ju it's justified, never done it. That's not what it means. Some get cute with the word, the word justified. It means that it's justified, never sinned. Nope. You, it's not as though you didn't sin. It's just that God doesn't hold your sin against you and doesn't condemn you. Is what it means to be justified. Is, is he declares you righteous through what his son did in not receiving condemnation. Uh, now it's interesting. It's by his grace, amen, that we're saved, amen? amen? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, amen? What a beautiful word. Charis in the Greek. Has said in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is a great, beautiful word. It's, I think it's like, that word is used like 248 times and it's translated God's loving kindness over and over again. It's not like grace is a concept just in the New Testament. said is used over and over again in the Old Testament and often you see it as his loving kindness. But we're saved by his grace, it says, through faith that not of ourselves, not something you or I do, we don't earn our salvation, not of works lest anyone should boast, Amen. 
So we're saved by grace through faith. And we're justified through faith. What does it mean to be justified? I love one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's a very short story where Jesus talks about those two men, right? The temple, and they couldn't be more different than each other. One is a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he thinks he's earning his way into God's kingdom because he's a righteous Pharisee. Remember, he says, I fast two times a week. Fast twice a week. And I give, you know, to the poor, right? He does all these wonderful things. And he looks at this publican, right? He says, I'm not like that guy, you know? That sinner. I, 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 I do these things. And then Jesus talked about the publican, right? And what did he do? Did he talk about how great he is and how God's going to accept him because he's a great guy? He asked for mercy, amen. And remember what he did? He beat his chest. He beat his chest, bam, bam, bam. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He acknowledged his sin. And we can't get right with God unless we acknowledge our sin. That's why you have to tell people why they need to be saved, amen, that we're sinners that deserve judgment, amen. You could talk about how we are under a double curse. That might be language you might use when you're witnessing that we're in double trouble, that we're cursed twice over because we're guilty before God, but also because we're sick with sin. And then you might express God's mercy and grace. So the publican, all he did was pleaded for God to have mercy. Amen. And you know, the Bible says that God in the book of Hosea longs to show mercy. The Bible also says that he has mercy over all his works. It says also in Hebrews 11 that he shut up all into condemnation, that he might have mercy on all. The same all, which is everybody, that's under condemnation. Condemnation, he wants to show mercy to everybody. But Jonah chapter 2, it says that those who cling to worthless idols forsake the mercy that could be theirs. So mercy is available. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Titus chapter 2, amen. What an awesome opportunity. He doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen? So what a beautiful, wonderful God we have. And justification is, now Jesus, he, he said, this guy, he goes, which one of these guys left right before God? Which one? The humble man. Jesus asked him, which one left right with God? And the man actually answered correctly. He said, the publican. And this is what's heavy. He said, who left right with God? Now, did either, were either of them righteous in of themselves? No, the publican left right with God because his heart was made right with God, right? And he was forgiven of his sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And the word justified could be understood as not condemned. Not condemned. God doesn't condemn you for that which deserves condemnation. Amen? Because we've been declared righteous, like the publican. Any of you out there right now who cried out to God and say, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, and you're trusting Jesus, guess what? You, there's no condemnation on you. You're in Christ Jesus. You've been declared righteous. You die today, you go to be with the Lord forever. Thus saith the scripture, as long as you're trusting Jesus. Romans 3.24 says that we've been justified freely. I love this, man. We've been justified freely by his grace. Romans 3.26 says that God is, quote, the justifier the one who has, of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that, man. Romans 4.7 says that our lawless deeds are forgiven and that our sins are covered. Romans 4.8 talks about how he's not holding our sins against us. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says that we've been justified, made righteous, not condemned by his blood. Amen. Can anyone say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, it's interesting because justification is a legal term. Okay? A lot of recent commentators and writers are trying to get away from the forensic aspect of justification. Trying to say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not really like a legal thing, you know, and Jesus didn't actually have to, he actually pay for our sins. That's so unbiblical. Read Isaiah chapter 53, you know? It says he was crushed, right? He was crushed so we could be justified, amen? God crushed him, it says there. Amen. 
And he bore our sins on the cross, amen? So it's a legal term, and it speaks of God's role. Understand this, it speaks of God's role as a judge who looks at guilty defendants who would be guilty except for his grace, and he addresses them with legal terms as, quote, no condemnation for you, no penalty for you, Romans 8.1. In Christ, there's no condemnation. And that's something, man, we should all be rejoicing in. So we've looked at being washed. We've been washed by the precious blood of Christ. We've been justified by the precious blood of Christ. Amen? Well, there's another term we're going to look at, and that is sanctification. Sanctification. Praise the Lord. We've been washed. We've been justified. We have also been what? Such were some of you. You that were homosexuals, you that were effeminate, you that were adulterers, you that were fornicators, you that were revilers, you that were drunkards, you that were all these things on that list or one or more of those things. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen? So now let's look at sanctified for a moment. Now it's interesting. I want to spend a little time on this because you know what the church has down a lot? Justification. In fact, a lot of people hear justification and then they abuse it. Amen? I call them grace abusers. A lot of, there's wife abusers, there's children abusers, and there's grace abusers. Okay? There's, that's, there are three predominant plagues we have in our world today. And it's people that abuse grace. And a lot of people ignore sanctification. He says you were sanctified. And guess what? How do you get washed through faith in Christ? How do you get justified through faith in Christ and his shed blood, amen? How are you sanctified? Through faith in Christ. But there's also various means that God uses to sanctify us. And you participate with God in the sanctifying process. Now sometimes sanctification is used almost as a synonym for salvation. Uh, For instance, in Hebrews 10, it's used as a synonym for salvation. Uh, But when we're talking about sanctification in this context, we're talking about the, uh, the fact that when you're sanctified, it speaks of, uh, of being consecrated or set apart from evil to God and becoming more and more like Jesus. It speaks of the process whereby we become Christ-like. What's God's goal in our lives? When somebody asks you what God's will is, you could say different things. You could say, well, the will of the Lord for me, according to God's word, is that I'd be thankful in all things. That's what it says. That's one, that's true. But you know what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? That's his will for us, that we be sanctified. That's God's will. That we're sanctified. That's the apostles' prayer, as we'll see as well. And if you're a Christian, guess what? You've already begun, begun in the process of sanctification. In fact, we always quote Romans 8:28. God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. What a beautiful verse. He works everything. I love knowing that. But then I don't want to detach it from the next verse because it tells us to what end he is working all things together for the good. It says, for whom he foreknew. That's you and me. By the way, not necessarily you and me. It's you and me if you love God. Because Romans 8, 28 says he works all things together for the good for those who love him. Know the call according to his purpose. Amen? So if you love him, he's working all things together for the good. Now, not if you're in rebellion to him. Well, what good? For whom he foreknew, the ones that, he's, that are loving him, he's what? He predestined to be conformed to the what? Image of his son. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now, come on, man. People get excited about being saved. I get excited about being saved, but I'm like, I'm going to be like Jesus more and more. And God in the flesh, I'm going to be like Jesus. As a human being, I'm like, you're going to be like Jesus. We're all going to be perfect and made like the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that just blows me away. And sanctification is a process whereby God weans us from the the self-life, the old man, amen, and makes us more and more like Christ. Kind of like that worm we were, we become more and more like the butterfly. And we don't fully realize what that's like until the resurrection of Christ. 
But if we understood what he's saying here, we would rejoice every day. When trials came, we say, praise God. God says he's working this together to make me more like Jesus, and I'm gonna be with God forever in a state of perfection. Wow. We wouldn't freak out over trials and murmur and whine and complain. When you get your eyes off of Jesus and you're not thankful and you're not loving him, though, then that process, what happens with that process? You know, we need to make sure that we are submitting to the Lord and the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Now, it's interesting. We, as believers, are called to, now sometimes it's called sanctification. Another term for it is holiness. Hagios is the Greek word. Hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S is the English transliteration of the Greek hagios, which speaks of being holy. And we're made holy. We become more like Christ. We have to, as Christians, now when we're born again, by the way, just let you know, the moment you're born again, you're regenerated. We're not talking about regeneration so much today. We've talked about that a lot. It's not on Paul's list there. He mentions it other times, okay? But regeneration is important, and that's where God performs on us sick people because we need to be forgiveness. We need our debt to be forgiven. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, what? To tell us I paid in full, amen? He paid the fullness of the debt. Amen? amen? That means everything that God owed us in wrath, he poured on Jesus so we could be forgiven the, 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 the sins uh, that God would otherwise put on our heads, amen? And every sin, that, every righteous act that we owed the Lord, was forgiven there. All the debt was paid, amen? So we have that forensic, that, that declaration, that legal declaration, no condemnation on you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we rejoice in that, amen? But we still have this sickly type of situation because there's a double curse. There's a curse of, man, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty for God. I, I deserve to be in eternal separation in the lake of fire forever. Boom. No condemnation, Joe. Amen. No condemnation, Mark. No condemnation, Jim. No condemnation, brothers and sisters. Praise God. Now I'm forgiven. I've been washed, right? I've been justified. But man, I've got this other problem, this other part of the curse. I'm sick. We got sick hearts. Hearts deceitful of all things desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? She said out of the heart comes evil thoughts and blasphemies and all kinds of perversions, man. Man, I need a heart change. So the moment we put our trust in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, right? Guess what happens? We're declared righteous, no condemnation, amen. We're washed of our sins, and guess what? The Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. The Lord comes to live in us because we're forgiven. Now he can come in, amen. Now he can live in you, and guess what process starts? There's a heart change. Open heart surgery, man, because we got these sick hearts. God performs open heart surgery. He gives you a new heart. You're born again. You're regenerated. You become a new creation, amen. He gives you new desires, a desire to please him and love him and follow him instead of rebel against him, Amen. So this sickness begins to be dealt with and he takes away that heart of stone, it says in Ezekiel, and he makes, gives you a heart of flesh the what way you were intended to be. It makes you like Jesus. So you're less and less like the devil and the old man, amen, and more and more like Christ. That sanctification, do you see the difference between being washed and justified and sanctification? One deals with your standing before God as far as forgiven or not forgiven, condemned or not condemned. The other deals with the sickness issue, Amen. And we should be rejoiced in our salvation. A lot of times people rejoice, say, praise God, I'm forgiven. But you need to say, praise God, I'm not like I used to be. Praise God, I'm not like that old person I was, self-centered, narcissistic, and all that stuff. Praise God, I'm becoming like Jesus. Amen? Becoming like my Lord and Savior. It's beautiful. And let's talk about the fact that, guess what? Even though sanctification begins in our hearts when we're regenerated, that's when we begin to be sanctified. Our hearts become, begin to get transformed. Even when you're putting faith in Jesus and trusting him, already changes are taking place. The Holy Spirit comes into you. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith works through love. So when you trust in the Lord, all of a sudden there's love at work in your heart by the Holy Spirit, and now you're growing in love. That means you're becoming more like Jesus because God is love, amen? At all. So if people say, when, what happens when? And, and sometimes people put sanctification weeks after justification. No, it starts right at the same time. Or, well, justification has to happen, forgiveness before the Holy Spirit can come in you. But it's pretty immediate, right? Pretty amazing. So guess what? We participate, though, in our sanctification. We have to make conscious choices to continue to trust the Lord and follow him. Amen? Because Jesus said, nobody can come after me and be my disciple unless what? He takes up his cross, denies himself daily, and what? Follows me. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7.1. Let us purify 
ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting sanctification or perfecting holiness out of a fear for God. Wow. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's interesting. God's transforming us, amen? So what are the means by which God uses, what does God do to sanctify us? What does he do to sanctify us? What means does he use to make us more like Christ and to help us progress in our sanctification? I want to talk about five things. Five things. I'm not limited to five. Most people give a list of two or three things, but I want to give you a list because I see at least five things uh, that God does to sanctify us. And one is through prayer. One is through prayer. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here we see Paul's prayer in verse uh, 23. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Paul's praying. Now this is through prayer. Now may the God of peace himself, what? Sanctify you. Meaning make you more and more separate from evil, more and more consecrated to God, more and more like Jesus, transform you more and more, right? Sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus right now? He's going to bring it to pass. Don't worry, right? You're, you've got assurance in his hands. If you're, if you're trusting him, praise God. It's a beautiful thing. He sanctif- So Paul prays that we be sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Amen? That's a good thing for you to pray. If Paul prayed it, Paul said, be imitators of me. As I follow Christ, you follow me. I see him praying that. So I pray for the sanctification of blessed hope and my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. My family, my wife, myself, everybody. Lord, sanctify us, body, soul, and spirit. Maybe more and more like Jesus. Maybe become more and more like him. Because guess what? When we see him, it says we're going to be made like him. Amen? And, we'll, and he that has his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. How do we purify ourselves? Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness in, uh, out of reverence or fear of God. So prayer is a key, okay? Prayer is a key. Now, number two, we're sanctified by his word. How can a young man keep his way clean, but by what? What does it say? By keeping it according to thy word, amen? I've hid your word in my heart, so I will not sin against you, amen? I love this. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of John is John 17, 17, where Jesus says, sanctify them in thy truth. And then he says, thy word is truth. When we, when we share the word of God, man, we're sharing the truth of God's word, amen? And, he, and guess what? There's two things happening there. He's saying what? Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. So God's word sanctifies us, amen? But that ties to prayer because guess what Jesus is doing right there? He's praying for us, amen? I love that because that's like two in one. Sanctifies us through prayer, sanctifies us through his word. In John 15, three, Jesus speaks to his apostles, Right? He says that they are, uh, already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. Wow. Go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're first still in Thessalonians, just back up. It sounds weird because so many people use phones these days. So it's like, I don't know if you back up on the phone or not. I'm still like old school. But uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he may what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? With the word. So it's interesting. He gave himself up for her to sanctify her. That's his death. Talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, we're sanctified by the blood of the covenant. Amen. We're sanctified by his blood. We're sanctified, which we've been talking about. So it's tied also to justification and being washed. But here we see 
he, we're, we're sanctified by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So his word makes us holy, makes us more like Christ. Amen? Praise God. So we're sanctified, number one, through prayer. Uh, you can, we can put number two in there, make it six, <laughs> by the blood of Christ. Amen? And number three, by the word of God. Number four, we're sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, we've already gotten there, man, through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Remember it says, such were some of you, but you were what, washed and, and you, were, you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And also in the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned there in our sanctification. So we could actually get seven in here now. Because we could say, hey, we've been sanctified by Jesus Christ right there, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And more specifically, we've been sanctified by his blood. Okay, so we're going to have, instead of five, we're going to have seven now. I, I kind of thought, do I go into the blood and so forth again? Because we already talked about the blood with regard to washing and justification. But hey, you always got to make room for the blood. Amen? So man, now we're at really, you know, uh, number uh, five, by the Spirit. And guess, listen, listen to this carefully. First Peter 1, 2. That it speaks of according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by, this is Peter, Peter, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. By the what? Sanctifying work of who? The Spirit. To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Wow. Paul talks about being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Listen to this. For God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Mm, guess what? We got eight now. If you do a study on sanctification, you usually see three. But I don't know, man. I'm like getting a little picky here. But... Sanctified by the Spirit and by what? What does he add on there? Anybody hear something? Sanctification by the Spirit and by what? Faith in the truth. Truth is back to the word, so that's a good, good catch right there. That's the word, but also says by faith. By putting our trust in Jesus, faith, uh, we're talking about repentance from dead works and faith in Jesus. There's a turning from and a turning toward. That's part of your sanctification. You're turning from evil to Jesus. So faith is part of it as well. A amen. Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, okay? Uh, so we got three things going on there beyond the five I was gonna mention to you. Uh, and there's other scriptures too I could share with you on how we're faith, the role of faith in sanctification. Uh, but of course the blood, and I'm sorry, we can't leave the blood out, I gotta mention it one more time. When you're cleansed by the blood of Christ, guess what? You're forgiven, now you become a holy vessel of God, amen? Fitful, fit and useful for his service because you're no longer contaminated by sin. So that's part of the sanctification process. But listen up. How does the Holy Spirit in a practical way help us in regard to sanctification? The Bible says, now what is sanctification? Becoming more like Jesus. Becoming more and more holy. Becoming less corrupt and more like Jesus. Well, it's very simple. Walk in the Spirit, you will not what? Fulfill the desires of the flesh. Holy Spirit is the third person of the triunity of God, the Trinity, amen? And he fills us as believers and he empowers us to live a holy life. He leads us, amen? He guides us, he woos us, he teaches us, he grieves if we don't follow. We have a relationship with him, amen? And he leads us into all righteousness. And it's important that you get, he doesn't just lead us, says walk in the Spirit. He will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It talks about as many as are led by the Spirit. These are the children of God. So he leads us, amen? Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the opposite of drunkenness. He makes us more holy. Here's another way that you can understand it so you can get your brain around it and apply it to your life. Brethren, Romans 8, 12 and 13. Brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall what? You shall die. But if you through the Holy Spirit do crucify or mortify, count dead the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. As many as are led by the Spirit, he goes on to say, these are the children of God. 
So brethren, sistren, all of us, we're not dead as the flesh, live our flesh, but if you through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. What's the point there? You cannot live the Christian life and you cannot pursue sanctification outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I tell you all the time, you cannot live the Christian life. It's impossible for you on your lonesome to live the Christian life. Amen? It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in and through us. Amen? So you have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay. Well, next, the fellowship of believers, koinonia, getting together and encouraging one another in the faith helps us grow in our sanctification. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is important. 1 Timothy 2.22. So flee, and this is after he talks about being a vessel of honor instead of a vessel of dishonor. And he says, uh, so flee youthful desires or passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Amen. It's as you get together with other believers and you're calling out with them that you help in the process of sanctification. How does that help us? Well, Hebrews 10, 24. In those verses, 10, 24, 25, warns us, don't forsake the koinonia. Don't forsake getting together with other believers. Do not let that happen in your life, right? And he says what? And let us consider how to stir up one another to what? Love and good works. Amen. So as we grow in love and we grow in doing the will of the Lord, we become more like Christ. And that happens as we stimulate one another, as we have koinonia, as we have fellowship. Amen. How many found that it's easier to be strong in the Lord when you're with other believers than when you're just hanging out by your lonesome? I think we all know that to be true. Amen. Man, when we are alone too long, without a fellowship, we can end up being in a mess. We need to get in the word together. We need to fellowship together. Amen. The last thing, we'll call it number eight now, is discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. And I don't have the time, as I look at the clock, to go through all of Hebrews chapter 12. The first, I was going to go through 15, 16 verses, just read through them. But I'm just going to point out to you, many of you are familiar with the passage, that he says, as many as I love, what? He rebukes all those he loves, and he chastens them, amen? And Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. So it's interesting, he's talking about how he's disciplining them. And you know why he says he disciplines them in Hebrews chapter 12? so that they will be partakers of his holiness. And he says, don't let the hangs, he starts off by saying, lift up your hands, you know, run the race, put your eyes on Christ. You know, he talks about the race that sets before us and how Jesus, you know, he, he, he's the forerunner, man. Follow his example. Then he talks to us about, get your hands up, man. Stay on the race. Basically saying, stay on the straight and narrow. Stay on the track, amen. And he says, God, God disciplines you because he loves you. Amen? And he says not to turn out of the way, not to become lame, right? And he says he, par- he disciplines you so you'll become a partaker of his sanctification or partaker of his holiness. Now go just go to chapter 12. And you're probably there already. Verse, verse uh, 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Meaning, man, you can't win a race if your hands are weak, your knees are feeble, man. And he's talking about spiritually here. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Verse 14, but pursue what? Peace with all men and the what? And the sanctification. Amen? Hagias. And the sanctification without which what? Without which what? No one will see the Lord. You can't think you could be in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, living a wicked life and you can enter the kingdom of God because he says, don't be deceived. If you live like that, you will not inherit God's kingdom, amen? amen? But then he goes on, thank you, Jesus. Such were some of you, but you were washed, amen? You were sanctified, you were justified. And we need to grow. And when he disciplines us and spanks us, don't harden your heart, as he says in the book of Hebrews, amen? He warns the brethren, see to it that none of you have a hardened heart and fallen away by sin and, and fallen away from the living God. Amen. So he wants you to stay in the race. Amen. So we're all going to get spanked as many of, as if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, man, God's going to spank you because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not close. And we need those spankings. And we need to make sure we respond to God's discipline by saying, I'm going to keep my eye on Jesus. Amen. And then if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will what? We will continue in our growth and our sanctification and it says see to it that no one comes short of the grace verse 15 see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many 
be defiled. So rather than getting bitter with God, I can't believe I'm getting spanked again. I, why am I even a Christian? Woo, then you're in trouble. That could defile you and others. Don't let that happen, man. Keep your eye on the prize. Before this, it says, Jesus, because the joy set before him endured the cross. Look at what's going to happen. You're going to be like Jesus and with him forever. Amen. The ultimate prize. Such were some of us. Amen. But we have been what? We have been washed by the precious blood of Christ. We've been justified by the blood of Christ. Amen. We've been sanctified by his blood and these other seven means I just mentioned. Amen. Love you guys. Hey, and, and bro, we're gonna make, we'll make a little video of that, bro. James Jackson. Make a little video of what you show me, and we'll show that later another time, probably on Sunday. We should get more traction, amen? I love you guys. Man, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm never done four minutes early. This is like something bad, maybe. A new thing. No, I'm just kidding, you guys. <laughs> it's very rare that we get done four minutes early. Uh, but I'm, and some of you, how many of you are thinking, I bet we still don't get out before 8.30? <laughs> Let's all please stand.